This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. You are now listening to the Heroic Council. Uh, so, uh, welcome to the Heroic Council. Uh, today I have with me uh, Jeff Gibbard, um, who is, let's see, what are all the things that Jeff does? That Jeff, it, Jeff is the founder of the Superhero Institute. Um, he does exceptional consultant work um, with individuals and businesses. Uh, he also is the host of Shareable, the podcast, and uh, in charge of the Shareable podcast network, which is includes the Heroic Council. Um, I'm also joined today with Sarah Ohanzian and Parshal Tashi. Uh, and uh, today we're going to be talking all about Jeff. Um, Jeff is one of, uh, one of my favorite people. Um, I've been uh, in his uh, orbit since like 2014, uh, maybe earlier, maybe 2013. And uh, I'm excited to talk about uh, Jeff's journey today and what he's doing with the Superhero Institute and his consultant work. Uh, Jeff, thank you for joining your podcast today. <laughs> Thanks for having me on my <laughs> podcast. I appreciate it. So this is our, this is our first spotlight and I get to be the first one. Cool. Uh, so um, Jeff, I, I, uh, I, I want to kind of want to start this because I wanted to kind of like frame this as a journey because like what like I've seen change in your life over the last like uh, five years. And, um, and I, uh, so I kind of wanted to start with where you were when I met you um, and like the incredible like changes that you've had in your life since then, like not including, you know, getting married and a baby and stuff like that, but just like where you were, where your headspace is, what kind of work you were doing back when, uh, back in the true boys media days. Uh, I think that was the company that you were running when I first met you. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit where uh, where you were at back then? Sure. So at uh, in 2014, when you and I had met, um, and that was actually three years after I had met Sarah, because uh, we met in 2011, uh, I think it was. And um, at that point, I had been three years into my business. Uh, I think when you and I met was like shortly after a period of time where I thought, I seriously thought that I was going to lose everything. Like I thought my business was going to get shut down. I thought that I wasn't going to be able to pay my rent. I was going to lose my apartment. Like all the, I don't know how realistic any of those things were, but that was like the, the phase that I was in shortly, um, shortly before you and I met. So uh, True Voice Media was a social media and content marketing agency. I, there's a lot of different ways I talked about what that company was, uh, but that's kind of what I landed on is social media, content marketing, influencer marketing. And while I wasn't really always interested in marketing as being my primary gig, um, it's what most people wanted to hire me for. So it turned out that that's kind of what it wound up being. Um, but my interest was always in like, why do businesses do what they do? And, and can they make a positive impact on the world? And I saw social media as like, just a tool to really be like a reflection of what the business actually is. So like people out in the world are going to talk about a business. And if they say good things, it means your business is doing right by them. If your employees are out there, like, you know, constantly, obviously looking for a job or bad mouthing their uh, employer, or just like not fervent and excited representatives of the company, then maybe something's wrong. So I really always saw the, the tool as being, um, kind of a, a lens into how a company actually behaves. And I was much more interested in what was behind that reflection than I was in the tools that did the reflecting. But people would just want to talk about Twitter and Facebook. So I was like, all right, well, if you'll pay me money for it, then you'll pay me money for it. So yeah, at the point you were taught that you and I met, 
um, was actually a major turning point because I think it was after that downturn of like, crap, I'm going to lose everything and my life is over, that things started to really turn around when I realized that that was a narrative that was in my head and wasn't necessarily true. Uh, when you said when you say that was a narrative that were that was in your head, um, what do you mean by that? Versus like like the reality versus what was in your head. What, what was the gap there? So I think the reality is is that as an entrepreneur, as as a self employed person, you are always to a certain extent facing down the prospect of losing it all or having things go wrong. And hopefully, as you get better and more mature in business, you have more of a safety net that you've created for yourself, some money in the bank. Um, you know, better contracts, like different things like that. But um, what I mean specifically is that the narrative that I had in my head was like such an overblown gloom and doom scenario that I think every self-employed person right now that that hears that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're, I'm talking about the like, the world is going to end. I am going to be homeless, lose everything, get addicted to crack. And like that I could spiral so far down into what would happen if I lost this one client that like that's, and, and for me, that was a little bit of a motivating factor, right? Like I, I kind of was like, I used to say like, um, I'm motivated by the idea that like wolves are chasing me and like, I have to run for my survival. And some people are terrified of running their own business because of that very idea. But for me, I just, I kind of just dig the exhilaration to a certain extent of avoiding certain doom. But the, the 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 hyperbole of the story that happened in my head at that point wasn't serving me anymore. And I think it was creating like an excess of stress that was making me less successful at being able to actually do work that I could be proud of. And, um, mm -hmm. and not just like, you know, I, I think it just got here. Literally what happened was, is I was sitting down having coffee one morning with my best friend, Naomi. She came over to my apartment. We were having coffee and we were talking and I was like, I was going over my fears. Like I'm going to be homeless and this and that. And she was like, Jeff, you have so many friends. You have so many people in your network that are going to support you. Like, do you ever think that I would let you like sleep on the street instead of on my couch or in our spare bedroom? Are you crazy? And it was like, mm -hmm. it was at that very moment that I was like, oh, wow. Like, so like I made up a fictional story in my head that I've been believing is real. So like at one point it was, it was a motivating story that I would use for like fuel. And then it became too real. And when I stopped letting it become too real and I just let it be kind of like a, I don't know, like a narrative I made up and I knew was made up, uh, I could then use it for fuel again without getting too wrapped up in the idea that I was truly going to lose everything. Because anything that ever bad happened in my business, every single time has always led to something better after that. And that's not me just being like a look on the bright side of life kind of thing. But like if I lost a client, it was probably because they were a crappy client or because I sucked and I needed to step up. So I either learned how to not suck or I learned how to pick better clients. And either way, it got better. And, you know, I, I think I've always tried to operate with integrity. So as a result, people are more likely to send me more opportunities when they see that I need them. Do you, um, do you think that change of mindset also led to like, you, you started making different decisions? Um, as far as like the business you, you, the business you decided to take on the clients you decided to work with, like, did that at all change any, any behaviors that you were, that you were like, taking part in? Um, partly. I mean, it's, it's hard to say because there's a lot of things. So it like, there's, it's kind of like a multivariate experiment to try and solve for that. Right. So it was like, on the one hand, you have the shift in mindset that's coming from 
acknowledging that that gloom and doom scenario is just like fiction. And on the other hand, yeah. I'm like constantly trying to improve myself and I'm reading about sales and I'm reading about persuasion. And I'm reading about marketing and I'm taking online classes and I'm testing things out. And so like it, it there's like a hundred different things that were happening at that point. And I think one big thing was that I definitely started to take a little bit more of a, um, I guess a firmer stance on the value of my time and the value that I bring. And as a result, I was less flexible in terms of talk, you know, I, I would less, I would be less likely to take work that was uh, um, financially beneath what I needed. Like I wouldn't mm -hmm. flex on my pricing. I started standing more that like what I have to say is valuable and what I have to offer will bring value. And therefore this is what my pricing is. And I've, I've really, since it was around 2014 where that started happening, I started getting very, very, um, for lack of a better term, and, and you know, I know that this word has sort of a negative association, but I became very rigid about who I work with, how I work with them, what I charge. And I did that not out of, um, not, not to be like a jerk about it, but just to stand for the value of what I think that I bring and so that I could bring my best to the different people that I work with. So as I did that, I started finding that it was a really nice filter. It would filter out people that didn't, that just wanted to get something for a better price or that didn't necessarily respect what I had to bring to the table specifically uniquely as me. So I don't know. I, it, it's hard to say. I don't think it, I, I don't think I would have been able to stand firmly for what I had to offer if I was playing in such a state of fear. Um, so, so I think I, there's, like, there's an overlap. We we often talk about like uh, like I, in person. I don't think we brought this up in the podcast yet, but in like charging for your value versus charging for your time, for instance, where like you're not charging like an hour, you're charging like overall like the history of your experience when you when you come to a conversation, and that's really what you're paying for. Um, do you did you did you, when you were making this transition and you started to become more rigid, did you kind of look at it that way? Like you were charging more for like your history of experience and, and your clients like are going and, and you were trying to move away from just like purely like throwing up ads and trying to get better, better, um, better ROI on your ads or was it something else in particular that led you to the rigidity? Yes, there's two things. First, I'll tell you a quick story that was like my first illuminating moment in this. It happened back in... I don't know, maybe like 2010, 2011. I can't remember exactly when. Um, but my ex-wife was working as an attorney. She was my wife at the time. But uh, she was working as an attorney, and there was an attorney in the office next to her that was looking for a specific document on Google. It was like looking for this document. It was a PDF. And he had spent several days off and on trying to find this document. And the one day he gets frustrated, and he comes into her office, and he says, I need you to help me find this document. I'm losing my mind. So several hours goes by and she finds it using Google. She just like tracks it down. So I go to pick her up that day. And in retrospect, this is kind of a dick move, but I pick her up that day and she tells me this story and she's proud about it. And I was like, cool. Like, what were you looking for? And she tells me, and I put in one search string and I found it as the top result instantly. So what this guy who his billable rate was through the roof took days to do. And what my ex-wife wife at the time took hours to do. I did in one search. So now tell me, why should I bill hourly? You know what I mean? So like that was the first point yeah, where I realized yeah. that the value of what you do is not necessarily the time that you put into it. And it's only got, and, and the other part of it is that like, you know, um, I don't know how to say this without sounding like terrible, but my brain moves at a very, very high speed. I think it's partly because of the attention deficit disorder, but like my brain moves at like, 
super speed. Um, so because of that, like when I, and, and it may take me like two days to find the time to sit down and get the momentum to do something. But if I sit down to do a task, I can get done in an hour what it might take some other people five to six hours to do because I drop into a state of like hyper-focus. My brain is moving. I just crank out the work. Over the weekend, I did something that was like probably like a 15-hour project, 10 to 15-hour project. I did it in about three and a half hours. Um, so because of that, I, I had the recognition at some point along this path that it's not about time. It's about the value to bring. And the other thing that I had a recognition of is that there is no correlation between labor productivity and value in our society. As a result, you can charge whatever someone will pay you for something. And my feeling is, is if I feel that I can back up what it is that I can do and whatever I do is going to have some nominal value that exceeds what somebody's going to pay me, then I should be able to charge the highest possible rate somebody's willing to pay me for that, like standard supply and demand type thinking. I should be able to charge the most possible because I'm going to be able to do that work quicker than some other people can. So it's worth your money to pay me more to do it. So I just started trying to play that and figuring out like, what will people pay me for my time? And that's just kind of how I did it. I tried to just raise my hourly rate because I don't want to work for 40 hours. I'd rather work for 20 hours and double the, uh, double the rate. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, at some point you decided to move on uh, from True Voice Media um, and you actually were able to sell your company, um, and uh, and you moved on to From the Future, um, which had a lot more employees than you did what you had in True Voice Media. So and and uh, a lot more departments. Um, so when you when you moved on to like a larger company, like one, what were the lessons that you learned from the sale? And two, how did this change your thinking as far as like um, like what happens in the workplace and how you consult on like like on different problems because you were dealing with a lot of different problems um, with working just within an organization itself. Um, it's a, it's a good question. Like I uh, when I think back on that time, I think one the complexity of my world like exponentially in, increased. Um, I had to take on a whole bunch of things that I didn't really know about. Uh, I had to build and work in departments that I wasn't quite totally clear on how to build and scale. Like I knew, I knew how to do a skill, like in sort of isolation, like account management, right? Like I had been mm -hmm. managing clients for, you know, seven years at that point. So I thought, okay, this is a skill. Like, how do I do it? How do I codify that? So building that, you know, account management function in the organization was definitely like a challenge and managing people that I didn't hand select and bring into the company was a challenge because these are people that don't know me. It's like, I, I felt very much like a stepdad a lot of the time that I was there. Like, like, you're not my real dad. <laughs> I would come in and like, I just noticed there was a lot of resistance to like, you know, new ideas are changing the way things were. And I, I think I naively thought, that like everybody loves Jeff. It's going to be fine. I'm going to come in there and everybody's just going to like totally fall right in line with the way that I'm thinking and just nothing could be further from the truth. So I failed miserably at so many different things uh, in, in that uh, experience. And then just the act of selling your company and like what it means to merge with another organization and the different things that you really need to think through like so many different things before you do that. Um, that was incredibly eye-opening. Um, and it's funny, like I, I kind of feel like after that experience, um, which, you know, I look back on it, I have a lot of fond memories. I have some things that obviously like didn't work out because I wound up leaving. But, um, you know, I, I, I just think people should be really, really careful 
before merging companies because the cultural clash that happens, like the difference of, you know, how uh, how a company is structured in terms of hierarchies, in terms of, you know, how decisions get made, in terms of how things are communicated, in terms of how teams work together, like all of these things are going to be vastly different in general. And there's a reason why so many mergers just don't work out is because there's just inevitably a clash. And I think the other thing is that there's a clash when you have to consolidate down from like being a sole leader of a company, basically, like kind of like at the top of it, making the big decisions to being part of a, a consortium or a team um, and potentially losing your kind of like top spot. That can be difficult to swallow. For me, it was definitely difficult to swallow. Um, it's one of the reasons why when I when I left, I decided to just do solopreneur work um, because I really didn't want to deal with, I didn't want to deal with being like at the top of an organization and dealing with multiple people. And I didn't want to be part of an ownership team. I just kind of want to like be free and do my own thing. Uh, and I don't know how long that'll last. Maybe it'll last forever. Maybe it'll be a few years. I don't know. I don't know if that answered um, all of your questions about it. Yeah, no. So um, as far as like leadership is concerned, because um, I know right now you're in the process of writing a book on leadership. Um, so, uh, did the events of that was leading that did the events in from the future, like inspire uh, the content for the book that you're working on? Yeah, for sure. I would say every, uh, my my leadership journey in my mind goes back to like childhood. Like I, when I think about leadership, I don't think of it as like a title in a company. I think of it as a way of being in the world. And I look mm -hmm. back at the way my household was structured and the way that both of my parents treated me. And I think that's an early lesson in leadership. I think um, when my parents split and new step parents came in, that was another lesson and how the two households ran differently. Uh, early jobs were, you know, a part of it. So, you know, obviously from the future is a part of it. I, I wouldn't say that it makes up any larger part than anything else because all of the leadership examples I've had and all of the leadership experiences I've had all kind of form together like Voltron to kind of create this overarching framework of how I think about leadership. And I will say that from the future might've been the place where I experienced the greatest amount of setbacks and failures that would that really made me th rethink some of the naive premises that I had in early iterations of the outline of the book um, and caused me to think just a little bit more grounded in terms of how much more difficult it is to be a, a, an effective leader than just having good ideas. I, I think you, you know, you, you can have the best frameworks in the world, but like rubber meets the road, like you got to get in, in the game and, and sometimes it's just not going to work the way it does on paper. So I think that the experiences from the future really helped to kind of level set me and like being more realistic about how this stuff plays out. I think something that I've uh, learned from you over the last five or six years is um, uh, communication and how important communication is like good communication skills. And, um, and also like things like just like tone, you know, like, cause I, I've had several, um, I think I, I've referred to you on a lot of, a lot of emails that I've written in my history, um, and, uh, and some back and forth that I've had with, um, clients that I think was making, um, uh, that I think was making kind of a, sorry, um, essentially what I'm getting at is, uh, communication wise, sorry. Sorry, I made you lose your train of thought. Yeah. So I spent a lot of my time uh, over my last two roles rewriting a lot of emails 
Um, I, I actually think it might've made up about 40% of my entire day to day. Um, and I still actually, now that I'm doing work with soul marketing, I still review and rewrite a lot of emails. Um, I think part and parcel because the same principles that are, that hold steady and effective leadership, um, in many ways hold true in effective client management or internal communications, things like that. Um, because ultimately what we're looking, I mean, 90% of leadership is communication, communicating ideas and destinations and how we'll treat each other and how we resolve conflict. Leadership is to a certain extent communication. So in terms of writing effective emails to clients, you're trying to lead them in a direction. Um, so yeah, I mean, so, so in terms of, why I, I don't really know where to, to to take that, but just to say that, like, I think leadership and communication are, are the reason why I brought it up in particular is um uh is for just like I subcontract people in my life, um, and I work with clients, and like sometimes when I'm working with clients, I'm in a leadership role with those clients because a lot of those clients look for me for expertise in these different areas. Um, and I I've learned like the power of like like framing things properly you know, um, uh, how, how tone affects people, you know what I mean? Like making sure people feel heard. Um, these are all things that I say like that I've learned from you in particular. And when I brought up the email thing, I wasn't like specifically going on the email, but that's just one example of an area where like, like you've helped me learn how to frame conversations just via your support on things like that, you know? Um, and even like, I, um, uh, a few years ago, I was definitely like very rush around, rougher around the edge as far as like communication is going. And you had a very high tolerance for that. And so like you, you having that higher tolerance and knowing how to communicate with me, like made me trust you and then become like a better communicator myself. Cause I know like, cause I can see how effective you were at like when you sat down and you were like talking to a client about what the process was going to look like. So everything mm -hmm. was like really clear for them. And then when you had concern, when they had concerns about like, oh, is this going to cover this? And this is going to cover us. Like you made sure to like um, listen to them and take their feedback in and make sure that like they, they felt comfortable with your plan because like they were heard in those instances. Or even like if you didn't know the answer to something in general, you're pretty like, you're fine with being like, oh, I don't know. I, I need to, I need to find, figure that out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess what I was getting at is, um, uh, I, my, my question was along the lines of like, uh, I, I wanted to bring that up because you're very good at it. And I think like for things like the superhero Institute in particular, um, I, I feel like that's, that's a huge thing that I, that we have continued to work on as we do like our alpha classes and stuff like that. So yeah. I'm just curious if, is, was that like conscious growth or did you just do that? like automatically, if that makes sense. It's a little bit of both. Um, so I can kind of break down how I think about it and how I do it. Um, but I will say that it's partly unconscious because it's a lot of life experiences that I've learned about what works and what doesn't. And also some of the things that I've read and I've really internalized and studied. I mean, I read how to win friends and influence people probably every like three years or so, because I just think that it's like among the most amazing books ever uh, written. And it, and it really just teaches you how to profoundly like interact with people in a way that builds trust and connection. Um, but I will say that I'm also very deliberate about it in the sense that when I'm talking with people, for the most part, if somebody's not my enemy, like we're good, we're going to be okay, we'll have a productive conversation. But if like, you're my enemy, like I'm going to burn you to the ground. But if we're good, then generally speaking, I want to validate you, because I believe that you're free to be whoever you are going to be. 
And I want to try and understand where you're coming from, right? So I want to be able to empathize with how you see the world, what you're uncomfortable about, what you're anxious about, what you're angry about, wherever you are, because I need to meet you where you are to be able to have a productive conversation with you. Like if I'm just trying to impose my worldview on you, like you're not going to accept it, right? So I think it's a lot easier for me to come and meet you where you are than to ask you to come and meet me where I am. I've just found that more effective in my life. So I try to take people where they are. I try to understand how it is that they communicate and how they want to be communicated with. I try not to judge them. I try to validate them because in general, I feel like if I do these things, I will build more trust with the people that I'm talking to. And if people trust you, you're going to be able to get that other crap out of the way and have a more honest conversation, which leads to another thing, which is that I am always honest. Um, even if it's ugly, even if it's like going to be embarrassing for me, whatever it is, I am going to be honest because um, truthfully, because I remember lying to my dad when I was like, like less than six years old and him saying, I'm really disappointed. And now you're going to have to earn my trust back. And I was like decimated, like completely floored from that. And it, for the rest of my life, I was like, not going to lie again, like not doing that. That's not in the book anymore. Um, and because I want people to know that when I say something, that it's a thing that you can trust, like my word should be my bond. And you got to know that when I say it, it's real. So if I, if I establish that with everybody that I have in my network, then they know that they never have to expend additional emotional energy trying to work out what I'm saying. And I put a lot of time and energy into having my communication be as clear as possible. And I'm not an expert by any means, but like I do pretty well. And by making sure that my communications are clear, I reduce the chance that people misunderstand me. And by being honest, I reduce the chance that anybody has to second guess what I'm saying. And by empathizing and validating with other people, I give them the space to then do the same with me, to try and meet me where I am. And then we just have more productive conversations, right? That's so much, and this is all part and parcel of, and I think all three of you have heard me talk about this before, but it's a central component of the book that I'm releasing. Um, in the Lovable Leader, due out January, 2022. Uh, there's a premise in there that I call sitting on the same side of the table. And that's ultimately all I'm trying to do with people in almost any conversation is I want to metaphorically sit next to you, face in the same direction with you, as if we're sharing a basket of fries and we're just talking about what we're going to do next. Like I want to be on the same side of the table with you thinking about where we are going or what we are after. Um, and I do that in every conversation that I can. And again, it's the people who are like, we're not sitting on the same side of the table. We're on opposite sides of the table that I'm like, great. Are you sure you want to do this because you will lose because I fight dirty when it's time to fight. <laughs> Jeff, how do you, in, in some of those moments where there is yeah. like a, a conflict or something's brewing, like, do you go into those moments saying, well, this is a learning opportunity. I'm going to grow from this. Or like, how do you uh, embrace some of those moments or do you embrace some of those moments? Cause you've had such a vast array of experience. I'm sure over the, all the years you're bound to have, you know, some conflict, like how do you approach that in a, such a productive way? I mean, I've lost my cool before and it's not productive. Um, so partly it's learning, right? Like, um, you know, boxers will tell you it's a lot easier to take a punch once you've taken a few of them, right? So mm -hmm. I, I've been in conversations in the last three months with clients who have like started ripping me a new one and it didn't like it didn't even I didn't have to consciously think to like stay calm and try to resolve it. 
because I realized that there's nothing going to be gained by me escalating the situation. And I, and the other thing is that I also didn't feel the, like the rage that I used to feel in those situations where I felt like somebody was questioning my integrity or insulting me or whatever. I didn't feel the rage because I now have a greater degree of tolerance for it. I can take more knocks before I get to that point. So instead I say, listen, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. I, I get that you're frustrated right now. I would be frustrated if I was in your situation. I'm not trying to make excuses for us. I'm just trying to figure out a way that we can get to a resolution where I'm able to serve you in the best possible way. I acknowledge the mistakes that we made. And if you wanted to walk away from this relationship, I would completely understand it. But my hope is that we can have a productive conversation. I can figure out how to best serve you and we can get back to work and we'll do our best to try and make up for the mistakes that we've made in the past. Right. And I feel like I've had enough experience seeing how acknowledging someone and apologizing and taking ownership to take action for a thing. Um, I've seen how that works really well. So I've almost installed it as like, um, as like an, if this, then that, if someone angry, then acknowledge, acknowledge, apologize, act, which is a, a blog post that was written by Chris Brogan back in like 2013 or something like that. It's called apologize immediately. And I just follow that formula. Like it, it just triggers into gear when that happens to go, Oh, great. Got it. I totally understand why you're upset. Validate, like go through that. Then a, apologize. Um, yeah, sure. When you apologize immediately, um, um, like, cause like there are situations where like, for instance, your client's looking for somebody to blame on some, something that went wrong or whatever, you know, and like, it's, there's a good chance that in certain circumstances, it may not be you, you know what I mean? So like, when you say apologize, like, can you kind of address that a little bit on like how to yeah, manage Like those? what happens if it's not your fault? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, the first thing is whether it's your fault or not your fault, the first step is always to acknowledge it is to validate it, right? Because if they're upset about a thing, they're upset about a thing. Like I, I recently was on a, um, not too long ago, I had a conversation. Somebody was upset with me and my team because they were upset about a thing and we had nothing to do with it. Like we weren't contracted to do that work. Like we had literally nothing to do with it, but this person was upset. Mm -hmm. So I could have very easily like triggered back and fought about the whole thing. I said, listen, I totally get it. This is an important thing for you. Let's see how we can make that happen. Right. In that case, I didn't apologize that like it wasn't done. Um, I acknowledge that that's a thing that's needed and I stepped and moved directly into action. So like in that stage, I'm not apologizing for anything because I, I, I think the case is, is like, if you are going to take ownership for something that you did wrong, apologize. If you see that, like you messed up and you could have done something better. And even that, like, that's an opportunity to say, Hey, I'm, you know, you can apologize for, not seeing that opportunity sooner, which may or may not feel valid to you to do such a thing. But in that case, you could say, listen, I get you're totally upset about that. I want to apologize. I didn't recognize that this was an important thing for you. Like we probably should have had these conversations earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, and I should have seen that there was something coming up for you that made this other scope of work that we're talking about not as relevant. So sorry about that. Let's see what we can do to fix this now. And then we can address that other stuff later. But like, let's deal with this right now. Let's figure out how I can best serve you, right? Um, in most cases, I tend to assume, for better or worse, that people are reasonable. And I have been proven wrong by in a number of cases. But it doesn't stop me from still believing that people tend to be reasonable, especially if you treat them with respect and you treat them reasonably. Um, so I, I just kind of fall back on these... 
I don't know, for lack of a better term, like frameworks. Like I have these different things that I fall back into that are just instinctual, habitual responses, like muscle memory that I've installed for myself that when I encounter one of these situations, I know that the first thing I need to do is like extinguish the fire. And the easiest way to extinguish a fire when somebody's upset is just apologize. Whoa, I get it. You seem really upset right now. I'm sorry. I don't know. Let's talk about how we can make this better. Like it just takes the wind out of their sails. Jeff, I was going to ask, is it the frameworks that get you through this or is it older age wisdom experience? You know, like every year you get a little wiser, you know, what do you think it's a combination of, of both? You know, I'm just thinking of younger people in their career listening. Like, how do you learn this stuff? Yeah. And, and I, I just need to like, like cards on the table, acknowledge, like I'm a 40 year old, pretty decent looking white dude. So like I have a particular path that I get to walk through life that doesn't erect any barriers in front of me because of those factors. Right. So like, mm -hmm. I, I can't claim that like all this is like Jeff Gibbard's amazing skills, right? Like look at my wizardry here, but I will say that within the context of the, the path that I get to lead, um, I do spend a lot of time working on all of these skills actively in literally every interaction that I have with every human being, I am constantly trying to think about how can I make this go exceptionally well? How can I make this person feel validated? How can I make this person feel excited, uh, motivated, um, cared for, seen, heard? Like I'm trying to create space for whoever I talk to because part of what drives me is like, I want to create a world in which everybody is free to be who they are entirely as they are. And I have to be able to bring that to all of my business relationships. I have to be able to create a space where people can be exactly who they are. And if that means irrationally angry about a particular thing, like I'm going to create some space for that. Now, that's not like forever space. I will also say that age does play a part of it, right? I think one, people people receive me in a different way because I'm a little older than they did when I'm younger. They receive me a little different again because I'm male and because I'm white, like those things do factor in. But aside from that, I just on my side, like me looking out into my world and how I approach things, um, I'm just getting a little too like old and tired for some of it. And like, granted, I'm 40, like I'm not an old dude, but I also just don't have as much patience for the petty nonsense. I'd rather just have a productive conversation with people. Like I'd rather just, you know, not be right. I'd rather just be effective. You know what I mean? Like I, I'd spent a lot of time in my earlier years it was very important for me that I was right. I was justified and I was right. And like, man, like where, where did it get me instead of being effective? It didn't get me any further. And I can look back and I can look at a bunch of different examples of like client relationships that went wrong. And in every one of them, there's a part of me to blame. So I'm mm -hmm. always looking to get better at that. So, um, you know, I, I would, I would like to, like my ego would like me to say it's all on me. Like I, I study this, I put it into practice, I do the thing, but like, I also have to acknowledge it's like partly that like, I just don't have the energy to fight anymore for these nonsensical things. I've got experience to show that it works better if I validate people. And, uh, and like, I also have a, a privileged position that, you know, does make it a little easier for me and I don't have to be quite as resilient. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. How how does this translate into superheroes? Because there's like, it's just all over you. And it's something that I really feel like you actually embody. And now that I'm hearing more of the context of the type of work you've been doing, how does this sort of serve uh, the initiative behind Superhero Institute? 
So the Superhero Institute is the beginning of what I hope to be a catalyst of really profound change in business. Um, and like, I've never been one to like think small about things. So like, I don't just mean like, it'd be really cool to have a masterclass of 10 people. I mean, like, I would really like to have superhero Institute certified coaches out in the world. And I don't give a damn if I make a dollar off of them, because for me, what's more important is like, I have always had a really, really hard time with like work, like having a job. Um, and part of that is that like, I'm just a brat. Like, I just, I don't have the psyche for like having a boss, but part of it is that like, I just feel like work culture is broken and we have so much that's broken. People can't show up and be who they are. We do work that doesn't satisfy our soul. We have to like, there's just so much that's wrong. Right. And, and like, we do things that maybe are in conflict with our own personal values because we need to be able to pay our rent and put food on the table. And I just don't, I don't, I don't want to live in that world. I feel like we can live in a better world. We can live in a world where like, we can have less, um, we can have less like dual dualistic conflicts in our brain about what we do at work. And then what we come home to, like, I want to live a life where like, I feel like I'm imposing as little or no harm as possible. And if possible, you know, start to create generosity and like a net positive in the world. And I want to empower other people to do that because I think the survival of our species requires it, but just the day-to-day -day happiness of individual people, like how many people come home and have like immense mental health issues because of work and we're trapped there 40 hours a week, like minimum. And that's our lives. Like we go to work, we spend five days in like this this barrage of awfulness. And then we get to have these two days off that we basically use to drink and recover so we can go right back to it. Like it's just, it's fundamentally broken, right? So I want more industries to be thoughtful about the impact they have in the world. I want more people to think about how they can connect with other people and do net positive in the world and in general, just improve the world. So like they, they, it's all very lofty sounding. I know when I get on it, but like at the core of it, it comes down to like, um, for me a little bit, it's like this idea of, of personal freedom within the confines of an amazing functioning society. You should be able to be who you are and do things that matter to you and live a rich and extraordinary life because I don't know if we're going to get another one. We just may get this one. So everybody should have the opportunity with so much abundance in this world to live a good life where they feel that they matter and they feel like they can be seen and they feel like their work has value, right? And I just think that there's a little bit of a structure that we can impose to make that happen. Like, I think an ethical framework is helpful, like the superhero code. I think when we, we encourage people to, to embody those traits, we create a world where that's more possible. If we give people the tools to continually improve themselves, then they, the more you improve yourself, the more options you have available to you, right? Like the less skills you have, the less options you have, the more skills you have, the more options you have. So I, that's why I'm constantly in growth mode for myself. Like I'm constantly trying to learn new stuff and see the world through multiple lenses. So that's kind of for me how it all ties back to the superhero thing. And, and one really important point about it is that like the superhero thing could really easily evolve or, or devolve into this idea of like you being the savior, right? Like you solely being the one person. That's not how I think of it. I think of it more of as like the Avengers where like, I just want more people to be extraordinary and then band together to do dope, amazing stuff. It's more yeah. about the collective. Yeah. I, I love that. The, like the Avengers, like you said, a group of people. I'm curious though now, cause you are a new dad, right? Well, kind of new. You got, yeah, you got relatively your, new. yeah, relatively new. So 
how has that affected or influenced how you see your impact and what you want to build with the state superior superior institute and then other initiatives that you have going like how is just being a dad period how does that affect jeff as business owner and entrepreneur yeah i wouldn't say that it necessarily has to be honest because i i think that after my daughter was born, all I thought was, oh, sweet. She's like the youngest member of the Superhero Institute. Like she's got, a, I got a whole training curriculum for her. Like she, she like, it's funny. Uh, my wife's aunt would say to her son all the time, like, don't be a hero. Like, like you don't need to be the person that like, you know, goes out and like does the thing and puts yourself in danger. Like just be safe. And like, and I was like, you will never say that in this house. It is be a hero, like all the time. And my daughter loves Spider-Man. Like she's only 10 months old, but we got it all over the house and she loves it. And every morning I have a superpowers poster and I, ha I have her pick out her superpower. So like I'm about it and I'm making sure that she's about it. And realistically, like when I think about like the, the only thing that it's really opened up for me is my hope that the people that go through the Superhero Institute program that I will be that I've like been working on and will be releasing at some point in the future um, and hopefully creating other people that are like kind of taking this ideology out into the world is that they train their children to be extraordinary and to give them the the belief that they can do amazing things and give them the tools to be able to to find meaning and purpose in the world in the life that they have right so it it's it's no different. It's just that they're littler and they're more impressionable, but like, I still want them to have the same tools that I think adults need um, to continually grow and get better. And the, and the ethical framework to be a good person in the world. Cause we need them now more than ever. It's so, so true. true. I like, I had done um, talk, talk to kids about productivity tips earlier in the fall. And it was so funny. Cause you thought, I thought, these tips are just as good as what I would give adults, but these kids were picking up so much from their parents. And I thought, how did they know that? And that's how, you know, it's like, you don't really think they're noticing or they're that impressionable, but it is, it makes such an impact on her because of this. It's really cool. Yeah. There's a poster I, hanging in my daughter's room. Uh, it says children learn what they live. And it goes through like if a child lives with criticism, they learn to be shy. And it's like all these different things, like the good and the bad, right? That poster hung in my room when I was a baby. And I've had it my whole life. And I hung it in her room because I believe it. I believe that like, you know, there's, this, there's part nature to the whole thing, obviously, but there's also a lot of nurture, like the environment that you raise your kids in is going to shape how they turn out. And and like, you never know, they could like, they could lean into it or they could retreat from it. So who knows? Like she might grow up and be like, I hate superheroes. They're stupid. I hate you, dad. But I hope not. Um, but you never know. But I, I think, you know, that's as a dad, that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create um, as much of a, um, an influence in her to like, to see her life as, as a positive contribution for the world. That's awesome. And I, I can't say that I've heard of someone who has a program or a, you know, piece of learning that's like, oh, my kids are going through this. Like that's, that says a lot about the intention behind it, that it really comes from your heart. And it's not something that's just like, oh, I'm gonna make some money with this. You know, like, you're like, no, my daughter's going through this. Like my wife is going through this. Like everybody's going through this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of it is like the, the path of the hero right now, I, I currently have no plans to charge for it. So like I, I will be putting in like 60 hours or more to build this program so that I can give it away to people so that they can go out and be more extraordinary and then hopefully teach others. And I want to, you know, at some point I'll have some sort of a program and hopefully I'll charge something for it. But like, you know, in terms of, 
you know, implementing it for my kid, like part of it was I was reading this book called Ultra Learning by Scott H. Young. And it's about like these people who are like insane learners that like they just go like the, like they try to learn like 40 languages, like that level of person who's just like they go deep into a thing. And there was a story in it about this um, this this man who basically raised his two daughters. Um, I think it was two daughters. He raised them both to be like world chess grandmasters. And the program that he started them on was like he started them playing chess when they were like three. And you have to like pick a specialization for them at like an early age. And you, and like, this could sound like totally like tiger mom type thing, but like, um, you know, it's not like being prescriptive. Like, like I would like it if my daughter played piano, for instance. So like giving her that as like an option and encouraging it. But then there's certain things that we're a little bit less flexible on. We're like, no, you're going to learn Chinese. Like you're going to learn Cantonese. Cause that's what, um, my wife's family speaks. And you're going to learn Mandarin because it's popular and you're going to learn English. And then like, if you'd like to learn other languages, we think that's cool too. So like, that's a thing that's like not negotiable. Like we're setting you up with superpowers so you can do that. Um, speed reading. It's another one. Like you will be a speed reader because by the time that kid's 11, if she's speed reading, like she's going to be crushing it in school. She's going to be like, I did all my homework. No way you did all your homework. It's only been 20 minutes. Dad, I'm a speed reader. Like I can just see it. You know what I mean? So that's why there's a program there. And also like, I, I feel like everybody has kids like you have in your head a little bit like, oh man, my parents didn't let me do this or didn't encourage me to do this or whatever. So I'm going to do that with my kids. I just have a much longer list. I think than most people. <laughs> she's, she's lucky. I think so too. I think she's pretty cool. It's I like her a lot. Cool. She's a good kid. It's very cool. How do people work with the superhero Institute? So it's funny, Sarah and I were just talking about this earlier today. I'm like so bad at marketing myself. It's like the worst. Um, so right now the superhero Institute is like not, really accepting any new clients and that's part like coaching clients and that's partly because like i've i've fully booked up all of my time i've sold like every available hour of my time so currently like you kind of can't um but i think the the important thing for anybody that's interested in the superhero institute would be to consume the content to request lessons that you'd like to learn about and things like that because i still make a ton of content and i still write a lot and i want to start creating videos once again at some point soon um so that sort of stuff is helpful like i i have a deep desire to teach so more than like i don't want people's money right now i just want to help people do awesome stuff so i would say for people that are interested in the super institute like be be interested in learning what we're like what the mission is about and like go through the superhuman framework and go through the superhero code and like think about it and think like do you want to be a superhero because if you want to be a superhero like i want you as part of the movement like i want you as part of the squad that's like going out there and trying to make your work environment better that you're trying to improve yourself that you're trying to improve others um all like that's what i want um because in terms of like you know, my own business and my own revenue and everything. Like I'm, I'm fully booked. I'm good for the moment. Um, if, if I were to be looking for superhero Institute clients at some point, I, you'd probably see a major update on the website because it would mean like, Oh, I have some space again. Um, but for now I'm, you know, not really taking anyone. I, I would at some point like to do another mastermind sort of like what, uh, what we do with the, the league of heroes. Um, because I think the masterminds are really valuable of like bringing multiple perspectives together more so than just like me coaching, uh, you know, I love coaching and I love kind of like being there to facilitate, but I, I really appreciate when the coaching is, is multi-directional because I don't believe it or not. And please play this back to me if I ever forget it, but I don't know everything. Um, 
I know a lot of different stuff and like I acquire a lot of different skills, but like even the skills that I know about, like I don't know everything about them. So it's always useful to have other perspectives and other things that have worked and people coming in and providing that because I get to learn from those masterminds too. So it doesn't, it's not just like the Jeff show when, when I do the mastermind. So I probably where I'll wind up going with Superhero Institute when, when I start taking clients again would be to open up more mastermind groups. Um, I think it's a, a better bang for the buck for people. Um, I do better per hour with it because it's multiple people. Uh, and I think that it's also more valuable both for me and for the people that are part of it. So like it's, it's a triple win basically. So that's probably where that'll go. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how people can. I have, a, I, have a pro, I have a pro tip on how to work with Jeff. So whenever I have like a business question or I'm not sure about it, his website is no joke, like a wealth of information. So I'll go and look for a blog, use the search function, um, try to find, you know, tools that he's recommending. So there's so much information there that like, rather than waste your time on Google, trying to figure it out, like go to Jeff's site first. And then if you can find it there, ask him or, you know, then go on your way. But I think it's such a wonderful uh, resource for people of information, Jeff, that you have already vetted for us. And it's honestly been such a gift for me. So I think that's a good way for people to actually interact with your, your content. Thank you. And, and thank you for bringing that up specifically because my blog is probably my favorite thing that I do like anywhere. I love writing on, I've been writing on that blog since 2008. So like, that's how long this has been going on. Uh, I currently write two times a week on it and I try to answer, I I'm always thinking of like different topics based upon experiences I've had or experiences that I've witnessed and trying to provide some value there. But I absolutely love it when people come to me and they're like, Hey, I'm trying to do this thing. Like, or I have this question. And like, sometimes I'll just be like, I'll write you a blog post about it. And then like, because other people have that question, right? So a good example is there's a playbook right now on the Superhero Institute called How to Start a Business in Seven Days. Yeah, it it's me, amazing. It's amazing. That, that thing is like a monster. It's seven days of posts and it probably took me upwards of like 35 hours to write it all and to put it all together. And I did it because a friend of mine who's a former colleague from like 2008 was like, I'm um, like, out, you know, I, I just left my job. I'm not sure what I want to do. I might want to start something. And I was like, what if I wrote you a guide on how to start a business? And she was like, that would be cool. And I literally decided instead of writing like a single blog post, I decided to write a seven day playbook on how to do it start to finish. And it's one of the coolest things I think I've ever put together in terms of like big pieces of content. Um, I put together a, a social media blog post about social media strategy that was like, just, I was tired of like answering questions about social media strategy. So I wrote a 15,000 word blog post that is searchable by tactic. Um, you could search by budget, by goal, by resources available, by how much time it'll take. Um, because I just was tired of answering that question. So like my, my blog is probably my favorite thing I do. So if, if anybody walks away from this doing anything, go read my blog and subscribe. Cause I really put a lot into it. And it's so yeah. good and so helpful. Yeah. And congrats to, I know that you're close to crossing 100,000 downloads on your podcast. So yeah, shareable is real close. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, congrats on that. Yeah, all of your content, like I just, one thing I've known about you since I've known you is that the quality of your content, like it's one thing to just put out something just to do it time after time, and then it starts to kind of lose that. But all of your, every time you show up in that way, it's like, it's just quality. It's like Jeff this is 100% Jeff right here. <laughs> There's like Thanks. 50%, it's not 30%, it's 100% Jeff in every word. So I appreciate you and always like inspired by that for sure. Thanks. I only got two modes, off and on. And on is at like 
the highest speed I got and all in all heart. Um, so yeah, I, I, whenever I do one of those things, I put everything into it as like, I try to figure out like, how can I give as much maximum value on all these things? And then I do absolutely nothing to market any of it. So I appreciate when any of you actually look at any of it. Cause like, I just do it because I, I feel like compelled to do the thing. And then I just move on to the next thing. And like, I can write a strategy backwards for somebody else. And I probably could do my own, but I just don't, I just do nothing. I'm like, wrote the blog, go. So Jeff, where, as we wrap up today, what are you into? And I think um, we, have a, we have a graphic for this. What am I into? Um, I mean, I'm gonna, yeah, we do have graphics for like all of this stuff, but uh, for all the things that I do, that is. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll put some of them up. So, so one thing I'm really into is like, um, I've been trying to get much more involved in different nonprofits and in, like making more of an impact. Like, I think you can't really be a, a superhero if you're not making an impact. So I'm trying to be like super involved specifically with Pathways to Housing PA. Uh, they're a nonprofit in PA that um, helps, they provide a housing first model for homelessness. So basically like no conditions. It's not like you have to get off drugs and you have to do this. You have to like, none of that. Here's a house. Like, let's help you get back on your feet and let's give you services that help you kind of, you know, live a life of dignity. And uh, homelessness has always been like my number one uh, cause. So that's one thing I'm super into. That's my fundraising page. So I'm trying to raise like $10,000 for them. I'm at zero right now because I haven't put my donations on this page. I do them separately. Um, but it'd be super cool if people help me raise $10,000 because that's like taking a bunch of people off the street. And that's really great. Uh, I also am a board member at Council for Relationships. And that's um, a nonprofit that helps to make uh, mental health services available to people regardless of their ability to pay. Um, so that's also really good because I neglected my own mental health for like many years as I was running my own business. And after I got acquired and then, man, when I started seeing that therapist, I was like, Oh my God, got to work through some things. Thank you so much. Uh, so I'm really into those things. Um, and then what else am I into? I mean, I'm really into this fidget spinner that I just got. I got really back into my fidget spinners and, um, ADHD TikTok. So I'm like learning a lot more about this detriment slash superpower that I have of ADHD. Um, so I've been kind of just learning more and managing that. So it's all sorts of stuff. And for anybody watching that wants to go and see my projects, here's where you can look at everything that I do. Like literally everything. I update that whenever I take on a new project or when I do a thing. So that's awesome. it. Thanks well, for spotlighting thank you me, you guys. Yeah. Absolutely. It's really cool. Uh, thanks for doing Go for it. Uh, so next, well, should we talk about next week? Because I'm pretty excited about next week, Jeff. Yeah. So we're going to do a live content strategy coaching session. So if anybody's listening and they want us to look at their content, I think this is a pretty core group to help you with content. Um, lots of good uh, experience here and background. So message any one of us, uh, DM us, let us know if you're interested. Maybe we'll talk to one person, maybe a few people. Um, but doing a review of your content, I think, is is really, really cool. And it's obviously something that's so helpful for your business. Well, yeah. Week. And this was pretty heavily inspired by both Parshell and Tim. Uh, Parshell, I think, was the one who first brought up the idea of the asset management. And then Tim, because every time he works with someone, it's like they, they, they like come to you and expect that they're getting this one thing. And then they get this one thing plus all of these other things that they didn't expect um, just because of your ability to like deliver so like above and beyond what people's expectations are. Uh, so those those two things are partly what inspired us to go this direction. And then also, Tim, your talk about like, you know, doing more like live um, scripts and coaching and like 
showing people the real like how it works sort of stuff. Yeah. So just message any yeah, of us if you about. want if you want that to be you uh, next week. Yeah. So cool. That's it for today. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye.